Do you need immutability for functional programming? In this episode, we're going to explore the question of whether it is necessary to have immutable data structures and other kinds of immutability in order to do functional programming. My name is Eric Normand, and I help people thrive with functional programming. So I hear this a lot in podcasts. Also, people people ask me, they get in touch with me over email or Twitter. The ones that bug me the most are in podcasts. Those bug me. It doesn't bug me to get questions. That's That's great. But I hear people say, oh, we can't do functional programming because we need immutability, right? Or... Um, we can't implement this algorithm in a functional way because then we need mutation, something like that. And it's, um, it's troubling, uh, because I mean, immutability, immutable function, uh, immutable, uh, data structures. I mean, that's, that's all good. Like there's no denying that it's a useful tool, but it is just a tool. Okay, it's not a requirement for functional programming. It helps tremendously, but I think you can still apply a functional thinking, functional mindset to situations where things are mutable. And that still helps. And so I still consider all of those things to be under the realm of functional programming. Just the idea that reading from a data structure that could be changing while you read it, because it could come from somewhere else, it's mutable, and something else might have a hold of the same object. Just that idea is something that's not discussed enough outside of functional programming, but it's something that we know very intimately in functional programming. It's something that we talk about all the time. And so reading from a mutable data structure is an action. That's, that's simple. Uh, we would love to be doing only calculations. And so we need some kind of immutable data structure to do that. Now I've talked about this before. Actually, I have a very pragmatic definition of immutability, and it doesn't mean that the thing can't change because of some like flag you've set on it or some discipline imposed by the language or the runtime. So in the, the, an example of that would be if you could make all the fields on a class final or all the, there's no setters on your class, right? It's only getters. So it's just a bunch of data. That would be a way of making something immutable, right? And you, you know, all the objects you talked to, you know, that you had references to also implemented this. You know, you could see how you could um, use the language's features to implement immutability. Another thing is maybe your language gives you immutable data structures like Clojure does or Haskell does. Um, so that's 
I mean, that's nice. It's very nice, but it's, it's not enough because it's not enough of a definition because we can implement immutability just by programmer discipline. And so my practical definition of immutability is if you don't modify something, there's no code that could possibly modify it, then it is effectively immutable. Okay, so that is a, uh, it's a discipline. You could break the discipline, you could mess up and do something wrong, but it's an ideal to strive for, and it is not as hard as you might think uh, as, a, as a discipline. And I've, I've gone over this in the, in another episode, the, the two main kinds is really two and a half, but it's, it's two kinds of, uh, discipline for enforcing immutability. And one is copy on write, which is where every time you want to make a change to a data structure, you make a copy and then change that copy. And then once you've made the change and you release it outside of your scope, right? you return it or, you know, send it to somebody else, some other part of the code, you can't change it anymore. Nobody can change it. So you just get this one little tiny controlled period where you get to modify it. Okay. So that's copy on write. Every time you want to change something, you make a copy and then change the copy while you're the only one that has a, a handle on that copy. Now, the second one is called copy on read. If you implement copy on write all throughout your code base, you'll be fine. That's, that's the best way to do it. That's how Clojure does it. It does copy on write. That's how Haskell does it. It does copy on write. But sometimes you're dealing with a library or legacy code or something that you don't trust or, you know, Maybe you trust to, it to do the wrong thing. You know it modifies stuff. So you, it doesn't do the copy on write. And since it doesn't do copy on write, you, you can't you know, consider your data structures immutable or anything that it touches to be immutable. So what do you do? You do copy on read. So if you call some API function, some library function, and you get back a data structure, you can't trust that it's immutable. So the first thing you do when you get it is you make a deep copy. You make a deep copy of it, and now you have a copy that you are going to apply a copy on write discipline to. And you don't have to care what this library is gonna do with, that, with the, the thing it gave you, because you just throw it away. You're like, I have a copy of it, my own copy, I'm gonna do my own thing with it. And so, you can now be secure that you're using immutable data again. So this is, this is all to say that I guess there's a second kind of answer to the question. Do you need immutability to do functional programming? No, you can implement it even on top of mutable things, even on top of mutable hash maps, mutable objects, as long as you can make copies shallow and deep, uh, as long as you can do that, you're fine. You can do functional programming. So to recap, answer one is 
even before you, you, uh, I say before, uh, there's a lot of interesting and useful thoughts, thought techniques, perspectives that you can apply to code that come from functional programming. These thoughts, these perspectives come from functional programming. You can apply it to code that doesn't have immutable data. And you would learn a lot about that code. So are you doing functional programming when you do that, when you apply perspectives from functional programming? Yes, I think you're doing functional programming. Okay. So then answer two is, even if your language doesn't give you immutable data structures or a way of enforcing immutability, you can still do functional programming and you can still implement immutability using these disciplines, these copy on read and copy on write. And you're going to have to find the other episode where I talk about immutability to figure out what that half, half of a discipline is, uh, for immutability. Um, it might surprise you what it is, but it's, it really is a half. It's not a whole one, but it's, it's still very useful. And, uh, it still gives you a lot of the guarantees that immutability gives you. Okay. So if you like this episode, if you found it useful, you can find all the old episodes, the previous episodes going back for over a hundred now, I'm sure at lispcast.com slash podcast. There you'll find audio, video, and text transcripts of all the past episodes. You'll also find links to subscribe. Just click those buttons, subscribe every, any way you want. If you want it in your podcast player, you want it on YouTube, you want it, uh, just the text transcript, subscribe to that via RSS. You can do all that. You'll also find links to social media, my email address, Twitter, LinkedIn, just get in touch with me. And a lot of the topics for these episodes come from questions and discussions that happen because of my episodes. So my name is Eric Normand. This has been my thought on functional programming. Thank you for listening and rock on.